Good morning, Pride Talk listeners. It's Nancy Rollman coming to you on the morning Saturday, June 17th from New York City, Chinatown. You may hear some noise outside. I live next door to a fire station. Um, but today, a little later today, I will be landing in Oklahoma. What else landed in Oklahoma today or yesterday? Um, some tornadoes. Uh, Oklahoma is tornado country. The first time I was there, or not the first time, but one of the first times I was there when my daughter was a baby in 1990, I was sitting with her great-grandmother and some of her other relatives out on a little like patio. And I looked in the distance and I could see a twister. And I jumped out of my skin. And they, of course, all laughed at me because they were used to this. New York City, we do not get tornadoes are not very often. Um, this one didn't, that one that I saw really didn't do much damage, though uh, Tava's dad, uh, Tim, did drive me around different areas. He's from Okmulgee, Oklahoma, and I could see, um, he drove me to towns that had been towns, but now there was basically just a, you know, like a concrete platform where the gas station had been. The towns had been utterly obliterated. And I, I understand that some of the tornadoes in um, Oklahoma and Texas, where I'm also going later in the week, have been deadly, so be watching out for that. Um, I yeah, I will be in uh, uh, Tulsa and then Austin, maybe, and then definitely Dallas next week, where my better half Sarah Heppel and I will be on stage uh, for the University of Austin, which is in Dallas right now. Don't ask questions. Uh, we'll be on stage with Megan Down. Uh, it is unfortunately a closed event. It's for students at the University of Austin, uh, and I think it's sold out. But if you're in that part of the world, wave hello, or maybe uh, maybe we'll actually see each other. So I have a confession to make. I haven't cooked a damn thing this week. And why is that? Well, if you looked in my refrigerator, first of all, uh, there's nothing but condiments, wine, and some Diet Coke. And that is because I'm not here that much. I'm on a plane every three weeks, pretty much. And I'm also upstate a lot, and I just don't, when it's just me here, I just don't cook. Now, when people are here, I always cook, and when people are coming over to tape or whatever, I always bake. There's always baked goods on the table, but it's been mostly just me this week, and I just kind of graze like a little rabbit, so I haven't been cooking anything new for you, but I am going to print a recipe here and talk a little bit about it at the end for really, I'm going to, I could probably promise you the best zucchini bread you'll ever eat. But before we get to that, I thought I would read you something. Um, years ago, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called Be the Monkey. It was a little PDF that was put out, gosh, this is at least, wow, at least 15 years ago um, by two writers. I'll find a link. I'll try to find a link and put it in the show notes. And they were both very successful sort of genre writers. I think true, not true crime, but crime novels. They're both very successful and, you know, uh, publishing was changing and there was now self-publishing and they decided they could kind of go out on their own and they did and they sold you know oodles and scoodles of books and they put out this little pdf that you know basically said to writers go ahead and do it go ahead and try different things i i've been doing this for years years ago i worked with my sister-in-law she started a little um a little press called dimaxicon i put out two little books with them i edited some books for her it's just such a fun way to try things, just to keep trying to create new media. And um, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. If it doesn't work, like who cares? But in any case, so I have this Substack, as some of you know, it's called Make More Pie. In this, in this PDF, sorry, to, to backtrack a little, these writers said, look, the best way for a writer to make money and get attention for their work is to write. 
and this has proved completely true every time. It's not marketing, it's not like hobnobbing, it's not doing what your publisher says, or you know, don't not do what your publisher says, but whatever. Um, it's writing, because you, cre you create something, you've created something out of nothing, and it has an attraction, it has a radiance, and it was, it was, um, it was sort of satisfying to see that yesterday. I wrote a piece, and um, it just got really nice traction. So I thought, because I really haven't, because I'm the bad make more pie. I haven't made more pie this week for you guys. So I thought I would read you this essay. And, um, and then we'll get to the recipe. So anyway, the essay is called The Portland Set to Emerge as the Next Great American City is Dead by Its Own Hand. What now? There are grim statistics from Portland 2023. The murder rate quadrupled in five years. Drug overdoses doubled between 2019 and 2022 with the state ranking second in the nation for opioid addiction and last in drug treatment. Robberies were up 50% in 2022 alone, and after having guns pulled on their baristas multiple times, a hipster downtown coffee shop closed in April, telling the public, we cannot continue operation here as we cannot ensure the safety of our team and customers. I'd driven past the shop six months earlier, had seen people at an outdoor table trying to politely cohabit with a ranting woman two tables over, a woman who had what were likely her worldly possessions spilling from garbage bags around her feet. There are more than 700 homeless encampments in Portland these days, and what I initially took to be civic landscaping, large boulders placed under freeway overpasses and along curbs, turned out to be bulwarks against people pitching tents. As a friend said, now they just poop on your lawn instead. Nothing comes out of the blue. And after George Floyd was killed and even before, Portland looked at its own and the nation's identitarian failings and decided the bill was due. Because rec recognizable targets are easiest, the city would defund the police, would vilify the police, would be okay with Portland's underemployed young man carving kill all pigs into the city steel bridges. The idea was that this would relieve some pressure, relieve some guilt, would set the city on a right and better footing. It did not work out this way. With fewer cops than had been in the city, when the city had been half its size, citizens grew afraid. They should have been here, the Antifa kid told me in August 2020, after a supposed BLM supporter kicked a bystander in the skull. When I suggested the cops were too busy chasing his crew around every night, the kid shook his head. They still should have been there, he said. He seemed to me of more heart than the people running Portland. He knew something was dangerously out of whack, if not what the fix was. What of the people at City Hall and a bulk of citizens and a gullible or perhaps mendacious news media? Why were they so intent on watching the city burn? Did they see framing disorder and destruction as heroic, a necessary, even honorable step in building the, new, the ideal American city? Were Portland's upheavals, as I sometimes saw them, about play acting for the cameras, about looking brave rather than being brave, about burning off some of the impatience and impotence built up since Trump declared as a nominee in 2015? That was around the time that Portland, then a rising star in the eyes of the media, decided the way to become an even more special place was to shout its bona fides, to show its citizens cared more, to push policies that decriminalized drugs and urban camping and petty theft, and, as the string would play out, all forms of violence, up to and including attempted murder. Those who did not back these policies sometimes had their businesses boycotted, their homes targeted, their faces plastered on social media. Others paid with their lives. 
the dozen people who overdosed downtown in one day, the woman stabbed and strangled in front of her children. That Portland's new system of justice had laid out a figurative red carpet for her killer was nothing authorities wanted to talk about, which I know because I asked. Portland's misfirings were not unique. Chicago and Philadelphia, San Francisco and New York enacted similar policies with similarly bad results. But those cities had large and differentiated industries and populations. No one group could snatch power and bring the whole thing down. Portland, which it's, with its 635,000 residents, proved itself swayable, overenthusiastic, and when the opportunity presented itself with the big bang of dysfunction that was the summer of 2020, Portland went supernova. The city had not been number one in anything since the Trailblazers won the NBA championship in 1977, and here it was on TV every night. There was frisson in this. There was identity. And with not much squinting, Portland activists and those who supported them saw valor in trashing the courthouse, in erecting a guillotine on the roof of the police union, in setting fires and breaking windows for more than 200 nights in a row. Peace through violence, the activists would say, a maxim that struck me as not much different than handing someone a turd and calling it a sausage. Portland's good intentions have not yielded good results. More than 20,000 people have left since 2021, the first decline in population since the 1980s, and 25% of downtown real estate remains empty. I cannot overstate how drastic a change this is and how fast. As recently as three years ago, Portland was set to emerge as America's next great city, heralded and properly so, as quirky and beautiful and authentically itself. That Portland is dead by its own hand. You may have questions, for instance, why did people not react to the death spiral in real time? Did they not perceive it? Were they too stubborn to admit failure, too afraid? Did they hope that the world would not notice and Portland could keep taking its star, star turn on the stage? And what of the media that chose to elevate the activists, to fetishize violence? Did it prove too hard to be a reporter and a reporter in good standing at the same time? Whom did they think it helped to paint a rosy picture of a city where things were critically falling apart? And did anyone consider the deadly downstream effects, the ones that are proving nearly impossible for Portland to reverse? Yes. Okay, so that was it. That was the essay. If you want to go follow me over on Make More Pie, I would love it. Of course, there will be um, a link in the show notes, but it's also just uh, nancyrommelman.substack.com. Uh, the recipe I'm going to give you is for, it's called, must try super moist zucchini bread. Now, it's from a woman named Alexandra Stafford. I don't know who she is. I looked up a zucchini bread recipe a couple of years ago and found this one on her site, Alexandra Kitch Alexandra's Kitchen. It is by far the best zucchini bread I've ever ha had. I think there's a couple of reasons, or maybe one main reason for this. And I've made recipes for zucchini bread this way before. So usually when you bake, you take your dry ingredients, you know, your, your flour and your spices and whatever, you put them in one bowl. Then you take your sugars and your fats, you know, oil, eggs, whatever, and you pick another bowl and you mix those together and then you mix your zucchini in. Well, this recipe has you toss the zucchini with the dry with the flour ingredients. This does something to it that when you make your whole batter, it just stays incredibly, incredibly moist. Um, I, 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 
it's a, again, it's the best zucchini bread I've ever had. We're moving into zucchini season. People who have gardens know that, you know, they've got those big leaves and you walk and you're like, oh my God, there's a zucchini the size of my arm and you got to use it for something. And zucchini bread can be really delicious. It can also be awful and dry and people can put raisins in it, which is a really bad idea. Or you can put walnuts in it, which I think is a very good idea, which is not actually in this recipe. Um, I'm going to read you the ingredients super quick, but I think I'll put just the directions in the show notes because I, I tend to botch them and, you know, you guys can read. So what you're going to need to make it, first of all, you're going to need your loaf pan. I actually like to bake in long, thin loaf pans. They're, I think they're like 10 by 5. Most loaf pans are 8 by 5 by 4 by 5. Baking in a longer pan, it just seems to, you get your bake done more evenly, more quickly because it's not so deep and wide, but it's up to you. So you take your loaf pan, you're going to spray it and you're going to line it with a uh, parchment paper. Once you start using parchment paper, you're going to love it because your things are never going to stick. You know, when you turn out a cake or you turn out a loaf pan, you, can, you know, part of the bottom sticks to the bottom. It's like, uh, you can, you know, line your whole pan or you could just line the, the bottom part because when you're taking out a cake or a, a loaf, you can always just cut around the edges with a knife and that won't stick. It's the bottom. That's the problem. So get your pans ready, get your oven to 350. And here's what you're going to need to make it. I'm just going to tell it to you super quick. Um, two cups, uh, unbleached flour, three quarters of a teaspoon of baking powder, three quarters of a teaspoon of baking soda, a teaspoon of kosher salt, one teaspoon of cinnamon optional. I don't tend to like cinnamon, so that's completely up to you. A cup of light brown sugar, half a cup of granulated sugar, three quarters of a cup of vegetable oil, one teaspoon of vanilla, two eggs, and two and a half cups grated zucchini. So uh, I like to grate on the small with the small holes. Um, I just, I prefer it. There'd be like small squiggles of zucchini rather than big, like licks of zucchini in the bread. So what you're going to do, you're mix again, as I said earlier, you're going to mix your dry ingredients in one bowl. You're going to take all your wet ingredients except zucchini and mix them in the other bowl. And you know what? I don't actually think I, um, used vanilla in this again, up to you. You don't have to, if you don't want to, then you take your zucchini that's grated, you toss it with the dry ingredients, then you mix in the wet ingredients. Now you have your batter, you put it into the pan. I, at this point, would add about a cup or even a cup, a half of chopped walnuts. That's up to you. Um, pour it into the pan and bake it for 45 minutes to an hour until you're, you know, you stick a toothpick in and it comes out relatively clean. I don't remember how long it took to bake off this bread, but I'm going to say that I always, 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 you should always be checking earlier. Yes, I know it's going to bring your oven temperature down a little tiny bit when you open the oven. But the problem is, is that ovens are different. People like things baked a different way. I think you can always underbake a little and then add a little and get it where you want to go. If you overbake it, there's nothing you can do about it. And guys, you know, who wants a dry zucchini bread? Who wants to dry anything? Everything should be nice and moist. Um, Okay, thanks for listening to me. I actually have to get my butt to the airport. Um, so thanks so much for listening to Pie Talk. I hope you have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.